battle is not yours. Good morning. We are glad that you are here today. Thank you for joining us here at Dorsville Baptist for our time of worship. And can I just one more time say thank you so much, worship team, for leading us to the throne of grace so effectively. Jenny, for that very special song and the other, uh, the harmony is just beautiful. We're blessed, aren't we? I tell you what, we always, you just wake up every morning and say, Lord, thank you that you've given me a local church like Dorsville to attend and come together. We're a blessed people. We really, really are. Hey, we're, yeah, go ahead. Praise the Lord. Amen. That's right. Sometimes, it, I tell you what you need to do sometimes. Sometimes you just need to go on vacation or go miss a Sunday sometime. Not all the time. Miss a Sunday. Go somewhere else and come back and go home. You know, I'm just grateful that God's given us the family that he's given us here. It'll make you appreciate what God has given us here because we have a very special church family. Uh, we really, really do. Hey, we're smack dab in the middle. In fact, winding down, I guess we're toward the second half of our series, um, uh, Praying, colon, On Purpose. Praying On Purpose. And you know, we kind of, you know, have you ever one of those epiphany moments where you kind of go, oh, you know? Well, I had an oh moment um, actually this morning. Um, last week, we kind of introduced the idea of the Baptist Catechism. And it's written back in 1698. And I figure, well, if I had Baptist, you know, catechism is kind of like a Catholic word, but, but Baptist is kind of like a Baptist word. So surely we could put those two together. And, and it's kind of the same thing as the Westminster Catechism. But it said that the chief uh, end, the purpose of man is to, um, to love God, okay, and to enjoy him forever. And, I, and then I realized praying on purpose. And I've been trying to teach you over the last several weeks that the main purpose of prayer is to glorify God. The chief end of man is to glorify God. And that's really what we've been teaching. I've been blessed. At least two people came up this morning and said, hey, you know, you've really made me take a look, a new look, a fresh look at prayer. And I tell you what, guys, I've enjoyed teaching it. It's been wonderful. And I hope you're learning and applying uh, what the word of God has to say about prayer. So we are today um, on the word dependence and in parentheses the word trust. And we've journeyed along and I've realized we really don't have time today to go back over the different points we've made. Um, but we are at the point in the sermon or in, in the prayer where, where Jesus says these words, teaching us to pray now, teaching us to pray, it's the model prayer. And he says, give us this day our daily prayer. Uh, bread. Give us this day our daily bread. And you know, one of the things that God uh, God really desires from us is that we trust Him and depend on Him. He really wants to be our sustainer. You, know, you remember back when you met your sweetie pie that you're married to and, and you know your, your world revolved around them and you didn't want to share them with anyone else? Well, that's how God feels about us. You know, you know God doesn't want to be number three on your list. He wants to be number one on your list. In fact, I even rewrote that and said, no, 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 no. God doesn't want there to even be a list. He wants to be your number one, and he wants you to trust and depend on him. And I think that's why Jesus put in this, in this model prayer, give us this day our daily bread. And that's found, of course, in Matthew in chapter 6 and verse number 11. And then we're going to jump into 2 Kings chapter 18 and 19, pieces of that. Now, now look what Jesus said there. He says, give us. He wants, again, I, I, I'm just writing these words down. I've got very, you know, you, I don't use a lot of notes. And, but, but I wrote down, be our supplier. I said, no, no, that's not quite right. Be our sustainer. 
Be our sustainer. And I'm not even sure why, but we were laying in bed, and, and Judy and I, and we're laying there, and she said something about, you know, we talked about food and how we can go like 30 days without food, and some of us could probably go just a little bit longer than that, all right, uh, if you know what I mean. But, but, you know, like water, water, you can't go like more than seven days, and you've got to have water. Water is the sustainer of life. And that's what God, when he says, when Jesus said, give us this day, give us, he wants to be our sustainer. He wants to be our very life. And he asked for this day, our daily bread. And here's the idea. And here's the thought. God wants to be our recurring sustenance. God wants to be our recurring supplier of life. Uh, not, not every once in a while, not when a crisis pops up, but his goal for us is for his children, the Christ followers, that he's, his goal for us, his passion for us, that's a better word, his passion for us is that we daily depend on him. And of course, the most beautiful picture in the Bible is way back, if you know a little bit about the Bible, go way back when the children of Israel um, had left, is, uh, left Egypt and they were out there and they needed food and God began sliding, uh, supplying this this kind of a, a sugar wafer almost. It was sweet, um, it was light, and they go out every day and pick up uh, this bread enough for that day. Give us this day our daily bread. And if they picked up more than they needed, it will spoil overnight. The only, only change to that was on Friday night because God closed the store on Saturday for the Sabbath. Okay? He had a blue law. Remember the old blue laws? Well, God had a blue law, and on the Sabbath day, which was the Jewish, it was Saturday, then, then they would go out on Friday and pick up two days' worth. And if they picked up more than, more than two days' worth, it would spoil and it would go rotten. That's the most beautiful picture of dependence on God. And the reason God did that was for the children of Israel to depend on Him every single day. Every day when they go out and pick up that, that manna, God is good and God can be trusted. God is good and God can be trusted. And that's what Jesus is teaching us. In fact, I had a thought this morning. You know, when Jesus fed the 5,000, y'all heard that story before? Have you heard the 5,000? You know, they, the people showed up and, and that's just men, by the way. That's, that's like not women and children. And they show up and they didn't bring lunch. Okay, and the boy said, you need to send, you know, he send this crowd away. And Jesus said, no, 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 you know, you give them to eat. Okay, and he goes, we don't have very much. You know, we stole some kids lunch and we got that a little bread and a little fish. That's all we've got. Have you ever thought about something? Here's what Jesus could have done. He could have said to the father, father, bless this, you know, be made big and all that. And then poof. And everyone's lunch, everyone's lap was a happy meal. I mean, he could have done that, right? But he didn't do it that way. What did he do? He had the disciples disperse the bread and the fish one at a time. And you can imagine as the guys went out there to give that bread away, when their hands were empty, what did they do? They went back to Jesus for more. And it taught them their dependence on Jesus. If this miracle was going to happen, if they were going to be the vessels for this miracle to happen, they had to go back to Jesus. So that's what God wants for us. He doesn't want us to think we're so strong and so wealthy and so well-managed and such a good organizer that we only need Him in crisis. God never wanted to be a crisis God. He wanted to be a daily God. So Jesus teaches us to say, give us this day our daily bread. When I was a kid... You know, one of the things we had to do for Royal Ambassadors, which is our mission groups, you know, was, you know, trust in the Lord. We had to learn Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with how much? 
all of your heart. Don't lean, don't depend on your own understanding. In all your ways, in all of your ways, acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths. So God wants to be our daily God. He wants us to be our our sustenance for every single day. So He wants us to come to Him how often? How often? Every day come back to Him and say, God, I need you. God, I need you. God, I need you day after day after day. Now, I wanted to use a Bible story to kind of illustrate that truth. So I found myself um, in 2 Kings 18 and 19. Now, this is one of those stories that is really big in the Bible. It's found in the book of Isaiah. I, found, I think it's found in 2 Chronicles. It's recorded several places. It's an epic story. It's huge, okay? And we, there's no way we can cover all of that. But I've got four scriptures on your sermon sheet. I want us to take a peek, a peek at that come from that story. It's, it's epic and it's big. But here's the big picture. There was a very, very good king named Hezekiah. And in fact, again, you need to go back to the first part of of chapter 18 of 2 Kings and read about Hezekiah because he really, really was a good king. He's the king of Judah, okay, that portion of the nation of Israel. He was the king of Judah, and he really was a good king. Uh, His dad, on the flip side, was a horrible king, Ahaz. Ahaz was horrible, and, and again, Hezekiah was an awesome king. So he is the good guy. Okay, then on the flip side, you've got Assyria. And the king of Assyria is the very face of evil. He is, I bet you can guess, the bad guy. So you got Hezekiah, the good guy, and you got, and you got uh, Sennacherib, the king of... I, I practice saying that. I should do pretty good today. Sennacherib, and he's the king of Assyria. He's the very face of evil. You got those two figured out? So the bottom line is Sennacherib starts conquering all the fortified cities of Judah. And what's left is Jerusalem, the royal palace, the place, the temple where it all happens. And so Sennacherib is coming. He's now outside of Jerusalem. Okay? So he sends three guys, three of his his boys. And they meet outside the wall of Jerusalem. Hezekiah sends out three of his boys. And they go out and meet outside the wall of Jerusalem. So they're having this conference. It's really not going quite well because the bottom line is the king of Assyria sent the message, said, I'm going to take Jerusalem. You guys are going down. You're going down big time. And so it's going kind of bad. And so because these, the Sennacherib's boys, the three, were so intelligent, they, their, their native language was, uh, was you know, a, 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 the language of the Syrians, okay? And, and, of course, the other guy spoke Hebrews, Hebrew. And so the Hebrew guys said, hey, don't speak, you know, speak in your language. We understand that. Don't speak in Hebrew because the people on the wall can hear you. And you, you didn't do that when you were having diplomacy things. You know, you're supposed to abide by the rules. They weren't abiding by the rules. And, and the three guys go, uh-uh, baby, we are going to speak in Hebrew because we want everybody to know what the king of Assyria is saying. And that sets our story up. we got the three guys of Sennacherib, and they're going to trash King Hezekiah, and they're going to mess up, and they're going to trash talk God. And in the end, guess what? They're going down. They're going down. Look with me in, in 2 Kings chapter 18, verse number 29. I entitled this part, False Promises. I spent a lot of time on this 
Because I've got a really big suspicion that Satan plays that game with me and he plays it with you. Listen carefully. The Bible says this. This is what the king says. The king of Assyria says. Don't let Hezekiah deceive you. He can't deliver you from my hand. True or false? No, very true. There, there was no way king of Syria, Sennacherib, was a huge army. I mean, huge, and they were mean. They were evil. They were slaughterers, okay? Hezekiah and Judah really was very, very small. So odds alone will tell you, this ain't going to happen. Hezekiah, if it's left up to Hezekiah, Hezekiah's going down. And when he goes down, Jerusalem's going down, and the people are going down. So they open up with a true statement. Hezekiah, don't let him deceive you. He can't deliver you from my hand. But look at verse number 30. Don't let Hezekiah persuade you to trust in the Lord by saying, certainly the Lord will deliver us. This city will not be handed over to the king of Assyria. And they start a form of verbal terrorism. Now keep in mind the setting. It's no longer a conversation between three of Hezekiah guys and three of Sennacherib's guys. They are loudly speaking. And along the walls are soldiers and civilians listening to this conversation. And they are hearing now this trash talk going on. Don't let Hezekiah persuade you to trust in the Lord. And this is where they make their big mistake. They move from trashing Hezekiah to trash talking God. Trash-talking God is never a good idea. And so they had this verbal terrorism, this undermining going on. And because Sennacherib represents really evil, okay, it's not a far stretch at all to compare him to our arch enemy, and that, of course, is Satan. Satan is so good at getting, uh, getting and undermining the people of God. You need to know this in your prayer life. And you're going to see this just a little bit later on. You've got to understand when you pray, Satan will do his best to undermine the teachings of the Word of God. He will do his very best not to get you to pray, Thy will be done. He'll try to get you to pray, My will be done. Listen, I know these, I've got two scriptures today that are pretty familiar, but you need to hear them over again. And of course, the first you've got to go here is Genesis 3, where Satan approaches Adam and Eve and their innocence in the garden. We see this trash talk. We see this undermining going on, okay? Listen what, what Satan says, how the Word of God records it in Genesis 3. Now, the serpent, serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. Very crafty. He said to the woman, notice the doubt, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And of course, the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, or you will die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So what we see here is we see Satan undermining God, trying to undermine God by saying, you won't die. God's lying to you. He knows if you eat eat the fruit, you'll be like him. Now look at me. Satan, who is the father of lies, according to the book of John, 
He's the father of lies. He will speak lies to you even while you try to pray. As you try to pray biblically, God, your will be done. Don't be surprised if you hear that voice in your head going, if God really loved you, he would grant this request. The fact that you even got to say, thy will be done. I thought God was looking out for your best interest. If God really loved you, you'd have that thing you needed right now. So don't be surprised if Satan practices verbal terrorism in your prayer life as he stirs your heart. And by the way, that's another reason why you need to get in your secret place. The more distracted you are in your prayers, the more likely you'll hear the trash talk. And I've said this probably 20 times over the last four or five years about that cross. If any time when you're in prayer or you're doing life and you begin to doubt that God loves you, you go back to that. Because that cross forever declares God's love for you. No matter what your circumstances say, no matter how urgent the moment of your prayer, a loved one's about to die, a child is missing, whatever it is, please understand, go back to that. God loves you even if your circumstances are shouting, it seems he doesn't. It seems he doesn't. So Satan does this verbal attack through the mouth of these three guys. He goes on and says this. Now watch verse 31. Don't listen to Hezekiah. For this is what the king of Assyria says. There are going to be two voices. There's going to be the voice of God and the voice of Satan. In this case, it's illustrated in Scripture. You know, don't listen to Hezekiah. Listen to the king of Assyria. That's what's going to happen. Satan's going to attack you. The Holy Spirit will be supporting you in your prayer life. Saying, pray, trust, pray, trust, pray, trust. And Satan's going to be saying, don't, 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 don't. And don't be surprised if he starts whispering promises in your ear. And that's exactly what happens in this story. Listen to this. I found this so incredible. Don't listen to Hezekiah, for this is what the king of Assyria says. Make peace with me and surrender to me. Isn't that incredible? The king of Assyria says, Hey, people on the wall, people on the wall, don't listen to Hezekiah. I know he's telling you to trust God. Bad deal. Don't trust Hezekiah. Don't trust God. Trust me. Surrender to me. Do you remember last week we went back to the, very briefly, to the temptations of Jesus? How that Satan's whole ploy was to get him to circumvent the Father? And do you remember this from, from Luke chapter 4, verse number 5? The devil took Jesus up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment, time, a moment of time and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory for it has been delivered to me and I will give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will be yours. Do you see the parallel? Satan tells Jesus, You don't need to do the cross thing. These kingdoms have been granted to me. I will give them to you. And I don't need your worship for, for 10 years or a 1,000 years. I don't need your worship for five minutes. Just look. It's just me and you. No one's looking but God. It's just me and you. Just fall down and worship me. Don't be surprised if Satan tries to pull that ploy. Surrender to me. Hey, hey, I will give you a better deal than God. Is that a lie? Is that a lie? Yes, it is. Listen, I don't care how Satan makes it look sweet. It's still a lie. And it will have dire, dire consequences. Oh, my. Men, watch out. 
When Satan whispers your ear and says, it'll be worth it. Go and have the affair. Go ahead and be unfaithful. Uh, Ma'am, when when Satan whispers in your ear, you deserve better than your husband. Kids, when you're out on Friday night, you deserve to have... Hey, who, who who has authority to tell you what to do? Don't be surprised. And he'll be saying, surrender to me. It'll be great. Surrender to me. And just look what he promises. It's crazy. Then every one of you... Now remember, he's shouting on the wall. People are listening. Then every one of you may eat from his own vine and his own fig tree, and everyone will drink water from his own cistern. Hey, trust me. Surrender to me. You'll have food. You'll be able to eat what you want to eat in your own. Life won't change. It'll be good as a matter of fact. It's almost like a a fast food commercial. You know, have it your way, have it your way. You deserve a break today. You know, Satan's good as... I've been told those burgers will eventually kill you. Doesn't slow me down much. And you know, it's, it's like Satan is saying that. Okay, I wrestle with sharing this. But you've got to read the Word of God. In this chapter... Right before this scripture, when they say, speak in Hebrew, don't speak in Aramaic. Speak speak in Hebrew because they understand Hebrew. And they basically said, oh, no, they need to hear because they, like you, will eat their own dung and drink their own urine. Because a siege was coming. And remember, we're going to get so desperate, they're going to eat their own dung. They're going to drink their own urine. Does that sound like a a double mac, a cheese, uh, what's that thing called? Thank you, Big Mac. See, I don't eat very many of them because I don't even know the name. Does that sound like that? See, Satan will paint this beautiful picture, but it never is beautiful. Please believe that today. Please believe that today. Before you surrender to Satan in that moment of weakness, whether it be in your prayer time or in your life, he's a liar. In fact, Jesus said, the truth is not in him. But he'll do whatever he can to get you to deny God and not to believe God and not to trust God. In fact, he goes further. He says this. Verse 32. Let me back and read the whole sentence again. Then every one of you may eat from his own vine and his own fig tree and, may, and everyone may drink water from his own cistern until I come and take you away to a land like your own land. A land of grain and new wine. A land of bread and vineyards. A land of olive trees and honey. So that you may live and not die. He says, yes, I'll be honest with you. Eventually, I'm coming and taking you captive. But you talk about captivity. It's a good one. Yes, you will be my servant. Yes, you'll be my slave. But it's going to be a land like yours. You'll have grain. You'll have wine. You'll have bread. You'll have vineyards. You'll have olive trees. You'll have honey. What a deal. It's never a deal. It's never a deal. I had to go back to to the time in in Genesis chapter 13 where Abraham and Lot, and if you know your Bible a little bit, when Abraham and Lot were there and they had kind of grown to the point of conflict and basically Abraham says, you know, you choose. Choose left or choose right. I'll take whatever's left. And I want you to listen. It's worth reading. Abraham says, is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If you take the left, I'll go right. If you take the right, then I will go left. 
Now listen. Verse 10. And Lot lifted his eyes and saw all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere. This is before, the Bible says, the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of the Lord. When Lot lifted up his eyes and looked, he looked over here, and there was this beautiful green valley. It looked like the garden of Eden. And you know the story, of course. The last verse, verse 13, that chapter says, or that segment says, but the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. In that beautiful garden was Sodom and Gomorrah. Oh, it looked good. Oh, it looked good. But if we'll fast forward to just a few paragraphs, Lot is in the middle of the cesspool, living in sin. So when Satan comes along, And whispers and says, how good it will be. Just remember who's talking to you. A liar. A liar. Hugely important. False promises. Next we want to look at, and we're going to have to fast forward to 2 Kings 19. We're going to jump forward. And I really encourage you to go back and read these chapters. But I've called this idle threats. Subtitle, fear. Subtitle, fear. Because what Satan will do, if he can't persuade you with false promises, if he can't get you to, to undermine, if he can't undermine God with promise you the moon, he'll do it with fear. You know, when I was in the eighth grade, I was about five, six probably, I don't know. And there's this dude in the eighth grade with me named Richard Jackson. And Richard Jackson was probably about six one. And the greatest joy he had was taking people like me. And just threatened to beat the snot out of me. I remember his name. I can see his face to this day. He was a bully. Bullying's really big in school. Remember we did our judgment house on bullying. Well, what, can I just be honest with you? What happens is we have Sennacherib. He's nothing more than a superpower bully. Is all he is. He uses threats and intimidation to try to put people under his thumb. And guess what? Satan does the same thing. Satan does the same thing. Now, again, you have to read the whole story to get this, but let me just kind of give you a a couple, four or five points that will show you this teaching. Uh, The first thing is this. I've already told you, Hezekiah was a really good man. He really was. But as Sennacherib captured city after city moving toward Jerusalem, Hezekiah caved. He sent a message to the king of Assyria and said this. Hey, I did wrong. Guess what? He had done nothing. He had not rebelled. He had done nothing. But he owned a false sin, a false wronghood. I've done wrong. Tell me what it will take, and I will give you whatever you want. And King Sennacherib says, I think about 11 tons of silver and a ton of gold will do the trick. And you know what Hezekiah does? He strips all the silver from the temple of God and gives it to Sennacherib. He peels the gold overlay off the doors of the temple and gives it to Sennacherib. He was acting out of fear. Fear and faith can't coexist. And frankly, Hezekiah had a lapse. He allowed his fear to control him. So he strips the temple of God. And when he did that... Snackrib said, oh ho, a little kink in your armor I see. 
And so he sets in motion now through his three emissaries, through his three boys, several things. One, he begins to mock in front of the people. He begins to mock and say, you really think this is a strategy for war? I wonder what they would have thought about Jericho marching around the city, you know. You really think this, this is a strategy? We're going to trust God? Doesn't sound like much of a strategy to me. And all the people are hearing this. They, they later, they said, oh, oh, remember Hezekiah? He tore down the high places, didn't he? He was the one who said, you can only worship in Jerusalem. I bet that made God mad, which is really weird because it was honoring God. But in their pagan mind, tearing down altars of any sort was wrong. You really think this God's going to stand for you when he did that? You, you, you think he's gonna, God's going to stand with him now you strip the gold and the silver? You think that's going to happen? Um, um, or how about this? And this is really weird, but it happened sometimes. God, and by the way, God told me to destroy Jerusalem. Had he? No. But see, bullies don't normally speak the truth. They'll do whatever will strike fear. Now imagine you're on the wall, and as far as you can see, they're soldiers. And you know what's in your garrison. Can you imagine that with me? And you're hearing these words. And fear is welling. And so here's what the king of Assyria, Sennacherib, says to Hezekiah. We find this in 2 Kings 19, verse number 10. Say this to Hezekiah, king of Judah. Don't let your God, whom you trust, deceive you by promising that Jerusalem will not be handed over to the king of Assyria. Verse 11. Look, you have heard what the king of Assy- kings of Assyria have done to all the countries. They completely destroyed them. Will you be rescued? Did the gods of the nations that my predecessors destroyed rescue them? And then he begins to list all the names of the gods and the kings. Bullying, bullying, striking an arrow of fear unto the heart. Can I ask you a question? Has Satan ever done that to you? You're in the intensive care unit and your child is there. Your husband's fighting for his life. Your wife is fighting for his life. Shoot an arrow of fear. Second Timothy 1.7. If you don't have this verse memorized, you need to memorize it. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. God has not given us a spirit of fear. Besides a reverential fear of God, when you are stricken with fear, it is straight from the enemy, it is straight from Satan. Come on now, that's a good place for an amen. You need to know that when you're praying. Have you ever been praying before? God, I need your intervention. And all of a sudden this wave of fear of what if he doesn't sweeps over you. The enemy wants to use fear, and he uses it well. He uses it well. So we have this false promise. We have this fear going on. And then, moving forward just a couple of verses, we see this wonderful prayer from Hezekiah. I bet you're going, when's prayer going to play in this? Listen. Just listen. This is one of those scriptures that stands by itself. Hezekiah took the letter, that verse number 10, 11, and 12, That's what the letter said. He took the letter from the hand of the messengers. He read it and then went to the Lord's temple, his secret place. And then he spread it out before the Lord. 
Then Hezekiah prayed before the Lord. Now listen. Think the model prayer. Then Hezekiah prayed before the Lord, Lord God of Israel, who is enthroned above the cherubim. You are God. You alone. Of all the kingdoms of the earth, you have made the heavens and you have made the earth. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Hezekiah, way before the model prayer was given, begins by exalting the name of God. I'm telling you guys, listen, listen, listen. There is power in worship and prayer. There is power when we pause and worship the one true God from an authentic heart. And I love this. He says, you have made the heavens and the earth. How powerful is that? I mean, it's like it's like Hezekiah is going, God, he's big, but you're really big. I mean, he can like breathe green gas and his threatening and his fear and all that, but, but you're God. Telling you, when you'll start, go ahead. I tell you what, go in, in your prayer life. Yeah, God, this is going on, but you're God, and God, this is going on, but but you're God, and but God, this is going on, but you're God, and God's going to get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger until it fills the room where you are praying, and that problem gets smaller and smaller and smaller. Your faith gets bigger. And bigger and bigger. And your, fe- your fear gets smaller and smaller. You believe that today? Try it. Try it. See what happens as you devote time to worship in your prayer life. So, so he goes on and says this in verse number 16. Listen closely, Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, Lord, and see. There's a sense of urgency. But look what he does. Lord, it is true that the kings of Assyria have devastated the nations and their lands. True? He's authentic and he's honest. God, God, the truth is, my husband's fighting for his life. God, the truth is, my child is fighting for life. God, the truth is, the king of Assyria have destroyed nation after nation. And he goes on and says this, they have thrown their gods into the fire. For they were not gods, but made by human hands, wood and stone. The reality was, they did trash their religion. They did trash their God. But look at the contrast. Now, Lord, our God. Now, Lord, our God, save us. But it doesn't stop there. From his hand, so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you are the Lord God and you alone. He is praying, God, we are asking for deliverance, but not for our sake. And don't you dare think for a moment this is some ploy with him. He is speaking from an authentic heart. God, this thing is all about you. It is about your glory. Your name has been trashed and we are now asking you to redeem your name. In the process, if we're delivered, amen. But what's the chief end of man? To glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. God, Hezekiah prays, it's all about your glory. Glorify your name. That is a powerful Powerful component of prayer. God, glorify your name. And then we move down to the final word. We're out of time. The final word. This is verse 32 and 36 of chapter 19. 
Now, there's a, long, there's a good section there where God just trashes uh, Sennacherib. You've got to go back and read it. You've got to read it. But here, here's the part we're going to get. Therefore, this is what the Lord says about the king of Assyria. He will not enter this city or shoot an arrow there or come before it with a shield or build an assault ramp against it. Our God, creator God says, "Uh uh-uh, he is not going to enter this city. There will not be one arrow shot and he will not build a siege ramp. He will go back on the road that he came and he will not enter this city. This is the Lord's declaration. Now, here's two things you need to know. One, when Satan speaks, he lies. When Satan speaks, he lies. When God speaks, he never lies. If God makes a declaration, okay, Romans chapter 8 verse 1, there's now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God declares you righteous. I don't care what your neighbor says. I don't care what the deacons say. I don't care what Satan says. If you are a Christ follower, you have been declared righteous and nothing can change that. When God makes a declaration, it is true. Now, of course, you've got to be careful. That one's a good one for us Christ followers to claim. But again, don't start claiming things that aren't yours to claim. But when God declares something, it can be believed. Now, I love this. Verse 34. I will defend this city and rescue it for my sake and for the sake of my servant David. I will defend this city. I will rescue it. How does he do it? Well, I, don't, I won't take time to read it, but the bottom line is this. The death angel moves through the camp of the Assyrians and kills 185,000 soldiers. Not all of them. 185,000. And the Bible says when the people, and that means the other soldiers, when the other soldiers woke up and, and, and the king woke up and, and his men woke up, they saw those dead bodies and what they do? They left. They left. They're out of there. How many arrows did they shoot? All right. Well, how many siege ramps did they build? How about that? Did, did he enter the city? No. You know why? Not because Hezekiah prayed it but because God decreed it. See, the most important thing is not what we pray, but what God, God decrees. That's powerful in that. Now, closing thought. Dwayne, yes, what's the application for me? Is there any application for verse 34 in my life? I will defend this city and rescue it for my sake and for the sake of my servant David. Is there anything there for me? Yes, there is. I love the word. It's one of the words that in his latter years has come to mean a whole lot to me. It's the word rescue. I was dead in sin and God resurrected me. I was in bondage and he rescued me. He is the great redeemer. He's the great rescuer. And once again, that's what this is about. It's about redemption and it's about rescue. Now listen to me. Oh, I'm going to do what I thought I was going to do. Have you guys come up? You're just a sermon illustration. It's okay. Yeah, yeah, y'all. Tracy is going, no, this cannot be happening. No, now come up here. Okay. Tracy, you stand right here. Okay. This is not dangerous. Nor is it embarrassing. Isn't that good news? Isn't that good news? It really is. Okay. Okay. So, so God is the great rescuer. So on the day you represent the start of the rescue. 
So on the day that we trust Jesus Christ as Savior, we are rescued. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. The day that we place our faith and trust in Christ, the rescue begins, represented by Tracy. All right? Now that rescue begins then, but doesn't end then. The rescue continues until finally there's an end. And the end of the rescue, if you will, continues into eternity, but on this earth ends when we enter heaven. So the rescue has a beginning and the rescue has an end. Everything in between is details. When God saved you, He rescued you. And it had a beginning, Tracy, and it's going to have an end. And this thing in the middle is called life. Thank you, maybe see it. It's called life. And in this thing called life, there's a whole lot of praying going on. But God will never fail you because He sees the beginning of the rescue. He sees at the end of the rescue. That healing for that person you pray for in Christ, who's in Christ, the rescue may, the healing may come in heaven, but it will come. It will come. What I want you to see is, is that don't get hung up in the details of this. And those details can sometimes be hard. When you've got a loved one sick, when your marriage is falling apart, there's some big details. But don't think because right here there's a bump that God failed to keep His Word. Because there's a beginning and there's an end. There is coming a day. There is a place where there will be no sickness and sorrow and pain. And God is in, in all about bringing glory to His name for Him and for our good. And as we journey in these details, there's a lot of prayers. Sometimes you'll understand God's answer. Some, sometimes you just won't. But no, you know, do you know what He wants you to do? Trust Him. He wants you to be like the children of Israel and go out in the morning and pick up your bread and say, God is good and God can be trusted. I don't care what my circumstances say. I don't care if I can't figure out the answer. I don't know. God, sometimes this one, this one time, you just didn't make sense, God. He's just saying, go out and pick the bread up. God is good. God is faithful. God can be trusted. He wants us to be the 12 standing around him and hands them a basket full of bread and says, now listen, go give this away. And when you're empty, come back. And they would go feed about 25 or 30 people and they'd come back and fill it up again. And every time they came back, God is good. God is faithful. God can be trusted. And as we go through life and we are praying and we're worshiping God and we're declaring Him to be God and we make our desires known. And I, I, oh, I do have time to share this today. I shared it Wednesday night. Do you remember when Jesus was in the garden? And you remember He said, if there's any way possible, let this cut pass. That was His human desire. But he followed up with, not thy will. We have the right as children of God to declare our desires. We simply have to place them by faith in the hands of God. And saying, God, you know better than me. But my desire is for this. My desire is for the healing. My desire is for this. But we simply place it in the hand of God and say, nevertheless, thy will be done. If you're a Christ follower today, the rescue started on that day. And one day you'll leave this earth. And you'll enter heaven's glory. And you will spend eternity with the Christ and the God who love you so much. Don't be tempted to trade a false promise from Satan from a reality with God. 
even if it doesn't make sense. Would you bow your heads, please? Dwayne, this is so challenging, and it really is. It really is, particularly if you're walking through a time right now when, when you desperately you have that urgent need. And that logical answer seems to be such and such. God just simply says, trust me, depend on me. Give us this day our daily bread. Trust me. Trust me. Satan is always a liar and God always speaks the truth. Satan is out for your destruction. God is out for your life. Don't confuse the two. Now, if you're here today and and you may have just popped into church and you heard me reference these two cross beams over here we call a cross. It was a cross, something like that, that Jesus died on 2,000 years ago. And the whole purpose of the cross was our rescue and our redemption, as I referenced earlier. The Bible says every one of us has sinned. Every one of us has sinned. And we're separated from God. But by God's grace and through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, we have the right to believe what Christ has done and to follow Him and be able to call God dearest Father. We were glad to share more about that with you. My friend Brent will be standing down front. i got some other guys here, counselors, who would love to share with you. It's not about religion. It's not about what denomination. It's not about baptism. It's about putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And brothers and sisters, the bottom line is this. Your God wants you to trust Him, even when it doesn't make sense. He wants you to go every day and pick up that bread and say, I'm trusting you today, God. I don't know what's going to hold, but I'm trusting you today. He wants you to depend on Him. God, I thank you for the very high privilege of sharing this truth today. Father, Father, thank you that you're a God who can be trusted. Thank you for the opportunity to share some, some truth about the liar, Satan, who wants to undermine and undercut our faith in you. But Lord, I also know this, that, that he's a thief and a liar, and he will try to steal this truth. I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to cement it into our hearts. Father, I pray for my friends today who are, are going through a very difficult time. I pray, Father, they'll have the faith to believe and trust you, even when it's hard. Father, for my friend here today who has yet to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, maybe you're drawing them, maybe you're pulling them to yourself today. Give them the courage to take that first step in believing in Jesus Christ. Thanks, God. You are so incredible. Have your way, please, in this decision time. Father, speak to folks and help us, your children, to step up and step out and trust you. And Jesus, I pray this 